are in a series called Starting Strong, and what we've been talking about is what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up and uh, in a community of people who are following Him. And so uh, it's super important for us to realize those two elements, that in fact there's the Holy Spirit and there's community. If you have a community without the Holy Spirit, okay, then uh, you, you have a dead community. If you have the Holy Spirit and there's no people, well, then that doesn't do us much good either. And so what we're talking about is combining those two things. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up in community? And so um, I wanted to start by sharing this story um, about 16 years ago, I think it was either 1999 or 2000, I'd rather not remember the whole event at all, I ran the Los Angeles Marathon. And by using the term run, uh, it's just a tad loose, but um, I, I was in it. This is a picture of me uh, uh, just before I ran it. Now, a couple things I want to point out, and I'm sorry for those of you who are online that can't see this because you're really missing something awesome. Um, if, if you're wondering about the track suit, and, and why it looks like something you get off of a cruise ship. Um, I actually did get it off a cruise ship, okay? Because in the marathon, when you start out, you have to discard all that and leave it there, okay? So I'm not leaving like my good... I don't even own a tracksuit. I, mean, I, I mean, I don't even know what that thing was. It was from Princess Cruises. But, but the other thing that's really cool about this, that, that is a fanny pack, that is a fanny pack, and I ran the marathon with a fanny pack. I had my cell phone um, in there because uh, pre-dialed to 911, and I had um, like a two-pound iPod in there too. It was like the first generation with the scroll wheel, you know, so that was uh, bogging me down. Here's a picture of me actually running the marathon, and no, I didn't pour water down uh, my back. That's just me um, just before this particular uh, picture. That was when I finished, and it looks like I'm really tired. I'm not. I'm actually dying right there. <laughs> like, I'm actually dying right before your very eyes. So, uh, so, and then this is me trying to smile uh, now that I've completed that. So I'll leave that picture up there for you uh, to see me in all my uh, glory. But what had happened was, the reason I was running the marathon is I was at uh, work one day, and our vice president was going to run the marathon. He had been training for months, because that's what you're supposed to do before you run a marathon, is you're supposed to train for a long time, okay? And so we were about 10 weeks out, and I kept asking him all these questions about the marathon and all that. He's like, well, you should run it next year, you know? And my thing is, I, I, I never understood running, like just to run in a you end up really in a giant circle. Where however long you run, you end up back where you started. I, I understand running from the cops or, I mean, uh, from like a criminal or running from a, a snake or something like that. But just running to run never appealed to me, never has appealed to me. But for some reason, there was something in me going, man, I, I, think, I think I'd like to run the marathon. But I was going to run it the next year. And a guy, another guy in my office says, oh, you could never run the marathon this year. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Now listen, this is how we should make all of our big decisions, okay? <laughs> when you're challenged, that's when you make the decision right then. And so I turned and blurted out and said, oh yes, I will, okay? 
which started out a process. And the process was putting the marathon on a calendar at the end and working backwards to try to build up as many hours as I possibly could. And I was religious at it. I would work out at lunchtime. I'd, take, I'd put on my tennis shoes at work, and I would just head out running. At first, it was four miles, and six, and eight, and ten, and, and I'd come back, and I'd shower, and then I'd sleep at my desk for a while, but I'd get my work done later, and um, so it, it was just this, this process. I was what we call devoted to my goal. I was devoted. I, uh, in the Bible, there's the word devoted, and this is the one we're going to be looking at this morning, and it means this, to give constant attention to a thing, and then here's another element of this, persist in the siege, like Persist when it's really hard, when the waves of the enemy or whatever is coming. To persist in the siege is to be devoted. And I was devoted. I ran my run consistently every time. I bought new shoes. I actually bought two new pairs of shoes because you're not supposed to wear one out and then put on new shoes because then you'll, get, you'll hurt your feet. So you kind of rotate them all. I went on websites and I learned um, how to survive a marathon. And uh, I had three goals. They were um, one to finish. Two, to finish actually running, like I ran the whole thing. And then three, to do it in a certain amount of time. So the, the, it, it gets started, and I'm, I, 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 I wanted to learn. I learned how to hydrate properly. I learned how to uh, eat little gel, disgusting gel packets while you're running, uh, all that while changing the song on your iPad. I was amazing. Uh, and so it starts, and I'm doing great till about mile 19. I hadn't really run that far before, and I didn't realize that you become demon-possessed at that point. <laughs> and so, uh, so we're running. I'm at mile 19, and I'm like, if I can just get to something where that starts with a two, I can make it, because then it's 6.2 miles. I can do that in my sleep. So I get to mile 20, and I'm running, and I'm starting to just lose it, and I'm like, I've got to, I'm devoted. I'm devoted. I'm devoted. I can persist in the siege. I can get this. And then a guy dressed up like Elvis passed me. (laughs) He was fully dressed up like Elvis in boots and like the white thing with the flared pants and the hair and everything. And I'm like, I'm I'm going insane. I'm losing my mind. And then, I'm not kidding, this is a very true story. And then a little person passed me. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, this, is, this is bizarre. And so I'm like, I've just got to make it. I've just got to make it. And this lady comes up to me, full, had just French nails, perfect hair, f- makeup. And I'm just like, I'm just like, ah, ah, you know, like the walking dead. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, it's only six miles from here. Don't worry about it. And she goes, pew. <laughs> and I just stopped. I stopped at mile 22. I just like stopped. And I was like, ah, I wasn't devoted enough. Uh, And so I ended up finishing. I I walked for, I think, a half a mile. And then I crawled. uh, (laughs) And I I made it. And that's what I looked like at the end. Now you say, why did you bring up all that kind of stuff? Because my whole life revolved around that marathon. 
I got up early in the morning. I watched what I ate. I learned about stuff. I thought about it all the time. On the days I didn't run, they were, I called them holy days. They were awesome because I didn't have to run. And the day that I'd, I'd have to run, uh, I, I dreaded it. I mean, it just, it just, it, my whole life just became about this marathon. That's what it means to be devoted to something. You might have had that too. You might have gone through a diet or something. I did the Atkins diet one time, which is just basically you just eat bacon. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, but like all those things where you just get to a place where you're like, I'm devoted. Now, keep that in the back of your mind as we look at this next section of scripture. In Acts chapter two, we had just seen the Holy Spirit arrive in power and it looked like nothing we'd ever seen before. And it was, it, was, it was, part of it was wacky, part of it was scary, part of it was exciting. And we talked about what happens when God doesn't act in the way you want him to act, or you can't explain what he's doing. And so this is what just happened. And so we get to right to this next section of scripture in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, they devoted themselves. These people were Devoted. They would persist under siege. They would give constant attention to a thing. That's what it means to be devoted. That is the pregnant Greek word that Luke wrote in here when he wrote the book of Luke. They were devoted. They They were driven. They had marked it on their calendars. They had changed their lives. They had changed their lifestyles. They had changed how they spend their time. They changed how they spent their money. They changed everything. They were devoted. For any of you who've been athletes and you've been in the season of whatever your athleticism is, whatever the game is that you're playing, soccer, football, water polo, whatever, there's that, in that season, you become a different person. You become devoted. Well, these people came, became devoted. What? they become devoted to. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to challenge you a little bit today. I'm going to bug you a little bit today. I'm going to poke you in the ribs a little bit today. And I'm hoping that uh, the people who aren't here get to hear the podcast and they get poked in the ribs. But I'm not shaming or blaming, okay? But I am going to push on us a little bit because here's the problem we have. In our culture, especially now, Our biggest block to becoming like the early church is individualism. It's the idea that we are the most important people on the planet. That, in fact, it's my time, my money, my career, my family, my me, me. And what this particular section of Scripture shows, and another one in chapter 4, which we probably won't have time to get to, is that when the Holy Spirit moves you don't really have the importance (laughs) that you might have had before. Okay, here's what they devoted themselves to. The first thing they did was to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the thing to understand, again, in our culture, we learn by going on a website or watching a YouTube video or reading a book or watching the news or whatever. We learn as individuals. This is not the biblical way to learn. Learning in the Bible is always done in community. So if they're learning from the apostles' teaching, it means they were there. They were present. 
during this. It meant something to them. It wasn't just gathering information. They didn't like have one person go and then that person goes and tells everyone else. They were gathered together. And this is a very important concept. We talked about it before. Church, the word church in the Bible is ecclesia. It just means gathering. That's all it means. It doesn't mean building. It doesn't mean spiritual. It doesn't mean dresses and ties and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't mean worship music. It just, it just means gathering. It's a gathering. The other thing is that they weren't just learning. This whole section here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the majority of that devotion, that constant attention to, was in doing, not learning. I can learn, I can go on my phone right now and listen to some of the most gifted preachers and speakers, I mean, even more than here, um, and, and be on a treadmill. I can learn so much. I can go online on websites. I can learn everything about the Bible. I can learn Greek and Hebrew and all that. But unless I actually do it, it's worthless. And these people had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not hearing the apostles, just hearing the apostles' teaching, not just uh, finding out what it is and checking out boxes. It was they devoted themselves to, if the apostles said, hey, you need to serve each other, they served each other. And so they devoted themselves to this. They gave constant attention to, they persisted in the siege of all the things that that would mean for their lives if you begin to change your life. Imagine what your life would look like if you began to just go for it. If the Bible says it, you do it. If the Bible says don't do it, you don't do it. If the Bible says do it more, you do it more. You're just going for it. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to it. It became their number one thing. What are you going to do on Wednesday, 2 o'clock? I'm doing this. I'm doing this on this day. I'm doing this. Their whole lives revolved around the gathering, revolved around each other. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they devoted themselves to, and this is just one verse uh, that we're going through right now, is to fellowship. Now, fellowship in the American church uh, today um, is like the coffee cart that we have out there. So we, at 9.30, we open up the coffee cart, and we say to come and get, grab a coffee and a donut and have some fellowship. The actual Greek word is koinonia, and it's much, much, much richer, richer than that. It's, it's partnership, that there's a partnership. If you have a need and I have an asset, I would help you with that need. If I needed something from you, I'd need something from you. It's like a, it's like a sharing. Now, there's nothing wrong with the co coffee cart. Uh, I go there to get my coffee and donut. But, it, but that's not just fellowship, right? Just when we go, when I joke around up here and I say, turn to the person next to you and say hi or say what's up or whatever like that, and we say, oh yeah, that's a time of fellowship. It is not a time of fellowship. It's a time of shaking someone's hand and most of it's awkward and feels weird. This is about, this is about sharing life together. This is about growing together. This is about getting to know a person at a really personal level. Now, that for us in today's era is frightening. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you what they did. And so we have small groups that are on, and we'll have a bunch this week that are doing that very thing. I wanted to read a little bit about this idea of fellowship because our church is free Methodist. And um, 
Uh, I don't have time to go into what all, all that means, but basically, we're a Methodist church that came out of about 1860 with B.T. Roberts. He was standing up against slavery. And at that particular time, the Methodist church, a lot of their pastors owned slaves. And he was saying, this is not right. We need to, we, we need to change that. And so we were really big in the anti-slavery movement. We th- thought that everybody should be free, okay? So, you know, go figure. Um, and then the, the other freedom we had was the freedom to worship. This morning, when, uh, when the band died down and you guys were just singing, that is a very free Methodist thing to do, that it's not a performance. It involves you guys. And when Aju and I talk about different songs and everything, we want to make sure that you're able to sing as loud as you want. We want that freedom. The other freedom was that uh, the rich people would buy their pews. And so the rich people would sit in front and the poor people would stand in the back. And we said no against that. Well, all of this is uh, just part of what it means to be free Methodist. But it all came out of a circuit preacher named John Wesley. Okay? Now, I want to read to you, John Wesley transformed America uh, with his, the way he shared the gospel and the way he challenged people to devote themselves, challenged them to use their time to use their money, to use their assets for the kingdom of God. So here's what a small group looks like for John Wesley. I'm gonna read it to you. Uh, In order to confess our faults to one another, wait, hold on, that's not right. Yes, in order to confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed, we intend to, one, meet once a week at the least. Two, to come punctually at the hour appointed. Three, to begin with singing or prayer. Four, to speak each of us in order, freely and plainly, the true state of our soul. Okay, I'm becoming Baptist. Okay, here we go. Uh, no. uh, the true state of our soul with the faults we have committed in thought, word, or deed, and the temptations we have felt since that last meeting. Okay. To desire some person among us, thence called the leader, to speak in his own state first, or her state, and then to ask the rest in order as many and as searching questions as may be concerning their state, sins, and temptations. Have a nice small group. Okay. But here's, here's, here's my point. My point isn't like now you're just like, oh my goodness. My point is we're probably not there. But could we get closer? Could we be a little more devoted? Could we get to a place where we might be able to share the state of our soul with one other person maybe in a safe place? Can we... Now, this, this is, they did this, actually. There were bands, they called them bands, and they were all over the United States, and chains were being broken. It, it literally changed our country because the people were changing, not necessarily the leadership. The people were changing. Fellowship, knowing the state of a soul, or maybe just moving in that direction. Third thing, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this particular language is about the Lord's Supper, that they took the Lord's Supper together, and that's what we'll be doing this morning. That there's something about gathering. This is why every 
week, we say almost the same thing. Number one, we're glad you're here. We really are glad you're here, and we're glad that you're joining us on the internet, if that's what you're doing too. But we're glad you're here. And it's better when you're here. And one of the things that's better when you're here is communion. Communion was designed to be taken by the gathering. That you should have a gathering. Now, I've, I've taken communion to people's homes, and, and, and there's only been a couple people there. I've taken them to hospital, uh, hospital where it was just me and that other person. And that's all fine. That's all fine. You can do that. But it's designed to be taken with the gathering. That all of us understand that what Christ did on the cross saved us, broke chains, empowers us now by the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so we as a gathering say, yes, that is for me as well. I identify with what Christ did on the cross. This is why we invite everybody to come take it, even if you're not quite there yet. If you're just at a place where like, nope, you know what? I'm gonna begin with this. I'm gonna start to identify as maybe a follower of Jesus. We invite you to do that. But this is what they devoted themselves to. This was very important. They would, they would um, circle it on their calendar. Hey, we, we can't go to Pilates class. It's time, it's a communion, okay? So we, we can't do that. We can't go to the game. It's communion. Okay, right. It's, they, they've devoted themselves. They've committed to it. They've uh, uh, given constant attention to it. That's the third thing, the last thing. And to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They were praying constantly. And all these themes you see about being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer are found all throughout the New Testament that this is to be happening in the gathering, in the church. Your gathering may be a Wednesday night group. Okay, your gathering might be this Sunday morning service. It might be um, a Wednesday night service. Or for those of you on Facebook Live, you might have your own home church. And, uh, and so that's your gathering. And this is just something else you're doing. But the gathering is so important. And so they break bread together and they pray. That's why during this series, we've set up uh, October 26th in this sanctuary to be a two-hour time where we just set aside time for prayer. Yes, we can all pray at home. We can pray um, in, our, in our cars. During that marathon, I was mostly praying that the Lord would come early. Uh, and, and, and so uh, you can pray while you're doing that. But there's something about praying in the gathering there's something about all of us together. And they devoted themselves to that. As a matter of fact, you see many times in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit shows up while they were gathering, while they were praying together. And so on that night from 7 to 9, we're going to have some time of some corporate prayer. So we'll have stations and different places you can connect with God privately, but we'll have some time for corporate prayer as well, where we're praying together, where we might pick a topic or pick something that's important, and we might just all get into groups and pray. This is what the gathering is supposed to be, not only doing, but devoted to. It should be on our calendars. Now again, I know that a lot of this language coming from the pastor has the tendency to sound pushy or, hey, you know, uh, I know it's club soccer time, but, uh, you know, you better get to church. Or what do you I realize that. And, and I'm not trying to do that. All I'm trying to do is have you examine your calendars 
Have you examined your time? Have you examined uh, your gathering practices and say, am I devoted the way God would have me devoted? Because here's what I know. It works. <laughs> it works. This is just what every mature Christian does. This is what every Christian that, that finds themselves growing in a dynamic relationship with their Heavenly Father, this is, this is it. They meet with other Christians on a consistent, regular basis, which I think is the same, consistent and regular. Anyway, um, but they, they, they meet with other believers. They share a little bit about what they're going through. They find somebody that they can share with. They take communion together and they pray. And when those things are happening, you're getting taught and you're praying and all that, God does a great work. Let me show you the work that God did. So here's what happened. Once they devoted themselves to this, everyone was filled with awe in the many signs, uh, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So there was another element of that, that the Holy Spirit was on the move and that the apostles, in order to validate this evangelical movement that was happening, in order to validate the fact that they had seen the resurrection, they were able to perform these miracles. And, and it can happen today too as the Holy Spirit moves because we'll, we'll see what happens in a, in a second. Everyone was filled with awe. Many signs and wonders were performed by the uh, apostles. Now listen to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, everything in common does not mean they all made the same amount of money, they all were the same color, they all were the same gender. It, it had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, it was the exact opposite of that. The, the amazing thing about the early church is that it was lots of different people all understanding that they had the same value. Is very diverse. We saw that when we saw um, Peter uh, speaking in a language that all the other cultures could understand. Remember how I shared that how many cultures there were there. Very diverse. They all had this one banner, Jesus Christ. And so they had everything in common. That's, that's what it means. They were of one mind. Okay, now it gets kind of wacky. And this is, this is where um, you might want to cover your ears uh, or whatever. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That sounds like communism. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is how close this community was. That things, money, titles, power, in light of what God was doing through the Holy Spirit in a community, they just didn't have the value that they used to have. And in fact, there was a generosity. Now, this is not talking about everybody didn't sell all their possessions, okay? It's not like we all put it in a big pile and I'm like, okay, here's your... I mean, for some people, they're like, oh, sweet. That, that, that'd work out good for me. I, I don't have a job, right? But it was about people who were amassing wealth or that as the Holy Spirit would tug on their hearts going, do you really need that camel or whatever they had back in the day? Like, do you need a third camel? Uh, you know, it's like... Uh, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit would move. And then they'd go, you know what? Let's give this. And they'd lay it at the apostles' feet and it would get distributed in a fair way. And the reason it got distributed in a fair way was because the people knew each other. And they were, were able to say, wait a minute, now hold on. I, you know, I, I know that you're, 
having these issues, but you had shared before that um, you've never had a boss you liked and you, you don't like to work. And, you, you know, and, and, and so they were able to, in community, work all those things out. And so they sold property and possessions, gave to anyone who had need. And watch what they did. Every day they continued to what? Meet together. They were the gathering, the ecclesia, the church. In the temple courts for the, where the apostles were teaching, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, what would it be like to be a part of a gathering like that? What would it be like to be part of a gathering where everybody is in? They're all vested. They all understand what the common goal is. That would be awesome. And watch what happens. Yeah, it would be. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was something about this community. Now listen, it wasn't just, just the, the apostles' teaching that was bringing converts. The Lord was adding to their number because this particular people was so different, so unique, so devoted that it just got people to rethink their own culture. It got people to rethink their own worldview. It got people to rethink their own agendas and their own priorities. And it said, man, look at this people. They're joyful. They're sacrificial. They're humble. They're servants. They're everything Jesus was. Imagine a church like that. Now, here's what I want to do. I told you I'd, I'd, I'd rib you a little bit. I, I wanted to very quickly read, I'll just read this um, from my Bible, and we won't put the slides up. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, which is two, two chapters after this, Luke says this again. All the believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. It doesn't mean that they sold it all and piled it all up. It means that they understood it wasn't theirs, it was God's. That everything we own is His. Okay? But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is very important there. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in, all, in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Wow. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Um, we have a time of communion that we're going to take together. It's communion. It's community. We're communing with each other, and we're communing with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is His body and blood that we uh, remember during this time. And I'm going to ask you to look at your life and to look at these four different areas of devotion the apostles' teaching, okay? That might present itself as Sunday morning worship attendance, okay? Um, to fellowship. You might for, you know, might say, you know what? 
I don't know anybody. I'm just going to come at 9.30 and at least just start to try to get to know people. And here's what I was thinking about this this week. I give as the great grand poobah of the church. I bestow on you the ability to ask someone, I know we've been coming church here for five years, but I don't know what your name is, okay? We're just going to give each other that kind of grace. And so if somebody comes up to you and says, hi, are you new? And you're like, no, I've been coming here 20 years. You just go, oh, wow, that's really nice. They're trying. So we're going to give each other that particular permission. Maybe, maybe communion. Maybe you've never taken communion, and that's your new devotion. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Pick something in one of those four areas and do it for the rest of the year. So here's what it might look like. First one, apostles' teaching. Happens in a gathering. Learning happens in community in the Bible. You say, okay, as best I can, I'm going to try to make it to church every Sunday. Now, I, I told you it was going to sound like this was just my ploy to get you here. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important that you're here. Like, I think it's important for all of us. Sometimes I dream about what it would look like if we all showed up. Now, we couldn't fit everybody in here if we all showed up. But could you imagine what it would feel like on a Sunday morning if it's just packed and we're singing, blessed be your name? We're all singing, you give and take away, you give and take away, and it's just all the voices that it just overpowers the band. That would be awesome. That's a devoted community. Maybe for you, it's fellowship. Maybe you like coming here, you like sitting in your seat, but it's like for you, the faster you can get out of the parking lot, the better. You don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to look at anybody. Somebody hugs you one time and you almost went into a coma. It's like, I, 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 I totally get that. But maybe it's just inviting someone over for dinner. You say, okay, from now until the end of the year, once a month, I'm having somebody over for dinner. Maybe, that, maybe that's all it is. Just something to become a little more devoted. Something to just put your, dip your foot in the pool for fellowship. Maybe it has something to do with the Lord's Supper. We take it, uh, not this week, because I wanted to match it up with this particular s- sermon, but it's always the first Sunday of every month. So maybe for November and December, you just say, man, I'm going to mark that. I'm going to circle it down. I'm going to look forward to it. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to come with an attitude of prayer. I might come in early and just um, look at the art piece and pray to God so that when I take communion, I'm devoted to it. It's not just a ritual. It's a remembrance of what Christ did for me. He died for my sins. Or maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's for the rest of the year, you're going to say, listen, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm getting up 10 minutes early, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Maybe you give a longer time. Maybe till the end of the year, you just say, okay, I'm going to get a prayer partner, someone that will hold me accountable, that I pray every day. No matter when it is or how it is, I just pray every day. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm asking... And I'm asking myself this too. What can I do to get maybe a little bit closer to being this devoted as they were? And maybe the Holy Spirit will do something in my life where all of a sudden more are added to the number. Not because of who was in the office, who was in leadership, who was in, but because lives began to be transformed and people couldn't help but notice it.